0: Okay, turning your Bibles to Exodus 20. And we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus. It's a powerful book. It shows God's deliverance of his people, Israel, from Egypt and his provision and his protection, all of those different things. They've come out of Egypt. They've reached Mount Sinai. That's the place that God would give them the law. And the law is given to the people. God's people to set them apart. Now, this evening, what we're going to do is going to take a brief look at certain parts of the law. We're not going to go over everything, of course. In fact, the passage is Exodus 20 through 31. You say, well, How are we going to cover all those chapters? We're not. I just want to get you to see parts of it as we look through this. Our focus will be, and as we flip it over, it's going to be the law and the tabernacle. I just want to kind of put a little bit of things together. We understand that the law was really just a foreshadow. Of our Savior Jesus Christ in the New Testament is the fulfillment. So in the Old Testament the whole law system... And a lot of people don't understand, but the whole law system and every aspect of it really dealt with Jesus Christ and a foreshadow of him, New Testament's fulfillment. So this evening, a picture of Christ as we look at the law, which for a lot of people, we got the law. Who wants to study the law? I mean, we don't. You say, oh, we're not even under the law. Why do we want to study it? Well, we don't. We're, we're going to see it. We're going to see how it fits, see what God did with his people and see how it fits together. But it's really a foreshadow and a picture of our, Christ, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for your great love to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for a night in which we can come together and we can sing songs and praises and music and and, and then we can uh, look at the Word of God and see truths that are there. See things from the Old Testament that fit. Lord, we realize that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. So thank you, Lord, that we have the entire Word of God. So thank you for that. Thank you once again that you have given to us the gift of eternal life just simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And we would never want to take that for granted. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, mercy, and love to us. Teach us now as we look at Exodus and we see these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was talking with a person the other day, and, and they told me that they had been in a Bible study. And just recently they'd been in a Bible study in which the teacher said... The Old Testament has no part for us today. It deals only with the Jews. It's not for Christians that we should put all of our time in the New Testament and focus on the letters primarily because the Gospels in the New Testament are just the, the life of Christ, that's how they put it, but the epistles really deal with the churches, and that's what we study. Well, is this true? We realize that Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. For teaching, reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, helps us mature and to serve. So all scriptures is inspired. Isaiah fifty-five says, "His word, word never comes back void, but accomplishes its purpose." Hebrews says, "It's uh, the word of God is alive and power, alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword." The entire word of God was given to us to know and to apply. So when we think about it, somebody could say, well, we are the church. Why don't we just really study the letters? And I think studying the letters is fantastic because it has a lot of information written to particular churches about particular things in which we need to know. But we would also say, don't we need the gospel of John and Luke and, you know, and what about the book of Acts, which is a history book? And then you start looking back at the Old Testament. What if we didn't have Genesis? What if we never looked at Genesis? How would it, how would we know about the, the start of everything? Every bit is profitable as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. As we think about the Old Testament, it's really a foreshadow of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think about this. The sacrifices, the priesthood, the tabernacle, the feast. Uh, the law all points to Jesus Christ, to who he is and what he's doing. We spent, we've done studies at Countryside over the years that we've done the tabernacle, and we went through every article of furniture and show how that fit together. We've done the priesthood. We've talked about the priest and the sacrifices. We haven't gone into a lot of details on like some of the sacrifices, but we've just talked about some big aspects of those kind of things. Uh, we see that the New Testament is the fulfillment. The Old Testament, we talk about the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming Messiah. The New Testament gives us the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and how it all fits together. He's the Passover lamb. The New Testament is the fulfillment of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who gives himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. So the Old Testament foreshadows, the New Testament fulfills. Well, this evening as we study, we're continuing to go through the book of Exodus. We've now come to really uh, a, a unique section Because all up to this point, we've been going verse by verse, passage by passage. We saw them come, saw the plagues and come out of Egypt and the party in the Red Sea. And we've seen a few things. But now they've come back to Mount Sinai, to Mount Horeb. This is the mountain of God. This is where God first called Moses. This is where Moses saw the burning bush. God even told Moses, I will bring you back here with the people. And at this place, they're going to get what we call the law, Mosaic law. And uh, there's some powerful things. As we begin, let us remember where we are. The nation has been delivered from Egypt. God has provided and protected him. They've come to Sinai. This is the place that God appeared to Moses. God has led Moses and the people back to here. Because how are they led? How? Pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. That's how they've been led. That's what they're doing. And And so he's now going to make a covenant with the people. You remember he made a covenant with Abraham a long time ago. It was an unconditional covenant. He, made, it, he, he make, made a land covenant with him called the Palestinian Covenant. We're going to see later on he makes a covenant with David, the Davidic Covenant. And he makes later a new covenant that goes into effect at Jesus Christ. There are four unconditional covenant that God makes with the nation of Israel. Here is a covenant we're going to see which is conditional. It's unique. Not only is it conditional, it's temporary. A lot of people don't think about that. We'll see it. The Mosaic Law, uh, you know, uh, some say has 618. 600, some people say 613 commandments. Some say 622. It's just according to how you look at it. But what was the law for? It was to set them apart. Set the nation apart because giving them the law, it was it was all kind of different things in the law that made them unique and special. It pointed, it showed sin and pointed to a Savior and Messiah because when you look at the law, what you say is, now the Jewish people said it the wrong way. They kept saying, whatever you say, we will do. They can't do them. You can't keep 622 or 613 commandments. There's not going to be a way to do that. Law was also a means of worship and fellowship through the sacrificial system and all of those kind of things. So it set them apart Show them we're sinners and need a savior and actually pointed to the Messiah and the savior and the means of worship. Now last time, uh, we saw that God told about this covenant and we spent some time showing the relationship of the law to those who have trusted Christ, things like that. But let me remind you of several great truths. The law was not, the law was given to Israel and not to the church. We're not under the Mosaic law. We have never been under the Mosaic law. When people start talking about the law, we, we do not live under the Mosaic law. Number two. The law was not a means of salvation. Saved by faith, not law. In the Old Testament, nobody was ever saved by law. How are you doing? Is that for me? Is that somebody else wanted this? Is this for me? Thank you so much. You're really sweet. Please find a seat. No, I'm just kidding. You're so sweet. Mm -hmm. I do owe you. More than anybody knows, this is one of the greatest ladies in our church, we love her so. And she paid me to say that tonight, but she did. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can start over on this part now. now if the law was given not, was given to Israel, not the church. We're not under the law, never have been under the law, never will be under law, under the law. The law is not a means of salvation. When you go back to the Old Testament, I've had people say, well, that under the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law, and in the New Testament, you're saved by Christ. No, you're saved always by faith. Abraham believed God and it was crowned to him for righteousness. The Mosaic Law given under Moses, even from that point on, the Mosaic Law was not a means of salvation. It was always simply by faith. And then the third thing is the law is not the basis for the Christian life. We don't live the Christian life by trying to keep the Mosaic Law, but by walking in the Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit by faith. I say the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. I know that there's some people, I've got books in my library that have people who teach and they say that the basis for the Christian life is obeying the Mosaic law. First of all, it's not the Christian life. Second is that it's not possible to obey the Mosaic law with all those particular commands, especially today. Well, as we continue this evening, I want you to take a look at the law and the picture of Christ. And we're going to do things a little differently the rest of the study. As you know, we've been going verse by verse, passage by passage, all the way through uh, verse nine, chapter 19. Well, starting here, we're going to do a little bit different. Let me show you how we're going to break it down. We're going to look at chapter 20, and we're going to see the Ten Commandments. We see the character of Jesus Christ. So that's chapter 20. We're going to just touch on that. Then in chapters 21 through 23, there are various laws. We're going to mention it. This is where you have things like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and all those kind of things. Then in chapter 24 There's the making of the covenant And what we're going to do is I want you to see The making of the Mosaic Law Covenant. We'll just see it very very briefly And then in chapter 25 through 31 That's the tabernacle, the picture of Christ And instead of of course going through each one of those Chapters and reading out everything I've got a couple of charts or pictures We'll look at them very briefly so that you can see How that fits together. So basically we're going to go From chapter 20 through 31 tonight Just getting the high points Remember that all of this points to Christ whether it's The commandments, the feast days, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, all of that all points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter 20. And we see the Ten Commandments. People talk about the Ten Commandments. We realize they, the Ten Commandments are actually the perfect character of God. Notice chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And he begins to list them. Look at the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the very first one. No other gods. Then he goes on to say, you shall neither worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting iniquity for others. He goes on down and talks about no idols. No, excuse me, I missed that. Verse 4, you shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or the water underneath the earth. Why did God never show his form in any way? Because the people would have done what? They would have made an idol, they would have worshipped it. That's why we see that God later on says that when he came to them on Mount Sinai to give them the law, he appeared in a cloud, but they saw no form because he said, if I'd have shown you a form, you would have made an image of it. So we have to be real careful. So first there's no other God uh, or gods and then no idols. And then look down, verse 7, you shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord in vain for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? And there's all kind of problems with this because some people say, "Well, that's just like saying a kind of a curse word, or saying, you know, using the Lord's name to say something bad, like a curse word." But you know, anytime you you substitute anything else for God, you're you're you've you got to be really careful when you do that. Whenever you can say certain things in a flippant way, and who knows what all that is? Then verse eight is, um, "Remember the Sabbath day." To keep it holy. And then he goes on to explain. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do work, your sons, your daughters, your male or female servants, your cattle, your soldiers, nothing. Now watch 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Now I want you to understand that in this passage, God says, I created everything in six days. The Jewish person reading this would not say, he meant long time periods. He didn't say that. He said, in six days, I created the heavens and the earth and everything and the the sea and everything that's in them. And then I rested on the uh, seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see him. Then notice this one. Um, Honor your father and mother that the days, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord, your God, gives you. He actually says, if you honor your mother and father, there will be blessing for you. If you look at the law carefully in those 622 or 613, whichever way you want to look at it, did you know if you, if you were a child, especially a son, and you did not honor your mother and father, if you cursed their name, if you opposed to them, under the Mosaic law, they could put you to death. So you needed to be nice to your mom and daddy, right? Think about it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord gives you. Then he says, you shall not murder. And there is a word uh, for kill and there is a word for murder. This is a word for murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now you're noticing something as we go through, and I'll show you at the very end. He ends by saying, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. To covet means I want something. I want that. I want what they have. I want that. Now, if you notice when you get to the end that the first four commandments deal with the relationship to God. Five through ten, the next six commandments deal with your relationship to mankind. Now, they asked him, they asked Jesus, and they tried to trick him. And they said, what is the greatest of the commandments? Because they figured, okay, is he going to say number one, no other gods? Number two, uh, you know, not an idol. Number three, this. What's he going to say? And he said, you shall love the Lord. You God with all your heart and all your soul. That's the first commandment. And the second one is equal to it. And that is, you shall love your neighbors yourself. He says, all the other commandments hinge on these two. If you're loving God and loving others... Then that matches those, what we call those 10 commandments and then everything else. It's the perfect character of God. He's the only person to ever keep the 10 commandments. To be realized, everyone in this room have probably broken all 10 commandments. Think about it. What did Jesus say? He said, if you look at someone with lust, you've committed what? Adultery. You, you sit there in, in a class. And you look over, and you don't know the answer. And you look over, and you get the answer. You just stole. You said, I don't know why they have that car. I should have a car like that. I want that car. You just coveted. Did you make that phone call? Uh Yeah, I never got them. You never made the phone call. You just lied. You said, you know, I hate those people. You just murdered. It is very easy to break them all. The law was given to Israel to show the character of God, to show the sin of mankind. It points to a Savior all throughout the Bible. Salvation has never been by law, but always by faith. So that's, you might say, the top ten commandments. (laughs) I, I think about it that way because he went up on the mountain. We're going to see it later on. He goes up on the mountain. He gets the ten commandments and... Before he can even come down the hill. Come down the mountain. They've already broken all ten of them. They're having the big orgy. And by the way. Think about this. They made a what? What did they make? And we'll get it. We'll get it. What did they make? Golden calf. And they said. This is our new God. Is that what they said? No that's not what they said. They said. This is the Lord our God. Who delivered us from Egypt. They are making God a cow. And that's what they've done. They've. Change the glory of the incorruptible God into something else. See, they didn't say we need a new God. They said our God. This is our God. That's what God said. I don't think I'm a cow. I'm not a cow. Now, following chapter twenty, twenty-one through twenty-three, is various laws where they have eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth, and He talks about things. And and and, and don't forget. Law demands, but law never supplies. The law will always say, here's what you do, but the law does not give you the power to do it. That's just something you have to understand. When the law says, thou shall not, the law does not give you the power not to do it. In fact, what does law cause us to do? What does it cause us to do? Cause causes us to sin. Anytime somebody says to you, you can't do that. You go, you, uh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean I can't do that? I can do that. I can do that if I really wanted to. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could do that. Do not look through this hole. Remember the famous one? Don't look through the hole. Nobody's going to tell me I can't look through a hole. I can look through a hole if I want to look through a hole. Right? Don't fish off the side of this. People get up there and line up. You don't have get Nobody's ever fished. You put a sign up. Don't fish. They're going to fish. <clears throat> so that's the way it is. Law actually causes us to sin. Points us to a Savior. Now, let's look then at chapter 24, which deals with the covenant. So just kind of turn over, and God is going to make the covenant with the people. Now, whenever there's a covenant, there has to be blood. Do you remember when God made the covenant with Abraham? Do you remember what he did? Anybody remember what he did? Yes. He said, Abraham, you go over by the tree. But He said, put the animals down, cut them in half, go over by the tree. And all of a sudden, God went through those animals. They cut the covenant. There has to be shedding of blood. There has to be death. I mean, there's this the cutting of the covenant. When God made a covenant with his people, there's an agreement without the shedding of blood. There could be no forgiveness. It shows the importance. The law is a conditional covenant made with Israel. He says, if you obey, I will what? Bless you. What if you disobey? I will curse you. Wow. Now, let's see the making of the covenant. We're going to go through it really fast tonight just so you can see how this fits. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel you shall worship at a distance. God calls for Moses and Aaron and Aaron's two sons and 70 elders from Egypt, I mean from, from the nation, from Israel, to go up there. They're coming to God. This is a big deal. You, would you want to go? Would you want to go? What did the people say the last time they saw God at the top of that mountain? They said, you go up there, Moses. We'll just stay back here. Right? The power of God. Watch. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. So what happened is Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders got to a certain point, And then he said, y'all stay here. God says for me to go. <coughs> Moses came and watch. Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, "All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do." <coughs> so he says, "Listen." Whatever God, he comes back and says, "Here's what he said." Now, I don't know what it was. I don't know whether it's just the top ten. I don't know if there was certain other things. But whatever God told Moses to tell the people, Moses came back and told the people, and all the people said, "All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do." Now, watch this. Moses wrote down all the words of the law, uh, words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with s- twelve pillars. For the twelve tribes of Israel, now he's putting an altar. What, what do you do at an altar? You make sacrifices and you worship, right? That's altars—a place of worship and a place of sacrifice. So watch what they do. He sent young men of the sons of Israel. and They offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, young bulls as peace offerings. Moses took. Watch this. Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins. He put it in pans. And the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. So he took blood from these animals and he sprinkled it on the altar. Moses took half of the blood, put it in pans, took the other half of the blood, sprinkled it on the altar. Then watch. Watch what he does. Then he took the book of the covenant. Now, how much this, of the law this was, we're not sure. Whether it was all the commandments, some of the commands, whatever it was, he then took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all the Lord has spoken, we, we will do and we will be obedient. Now, were they? I mean, even before you get the words out of your mouth, they're not obedient. Right? Whatever he says, we will do. Now, I want you to notice something. He has set apart the law for the people. And now he's going to set apart the people for the law. Watch. What he does, verse 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood of the covenant is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is a foreshadow. See, without the shedding of blood, there could be no what? Forgiveness, it can't be. Jesus is the perfect man who paid the penalty as he shed his blood. Watch. This is so unusual. Look at verse 9. Moses went up with Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. They saw him. What do you think he looked like? He didn't describe it, right? Notice the next part. They saw the God of Israel and under his feet... There appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Wherever God was standing, it appeared to be like the sky, just shining, beautiful. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. And they told him murderer they couldn't come up. Now they all get to come up, and they have a meal with God. Now let me ask you something. you going to forget that. You remember that the rest of your life, won't you? What do you think happened? What do you think it looked like? I mean, do you think maybe they kind of were over here and this God was over there and they're eating and going, yeah, this, this yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. He said, I want you to come up on the mountain, and I'm going to give you the tablets. Now, what's on the tablets? Huh? The Ten Commandments, exactly, the Ten. So look at verse 15. Moses went up on top of the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Now, he's gone. Notice, Moses entered, verse 18, Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for how long? Forty days and forty nights. What happened? What happened? While he was gone. Now before we get to that. You're going to see in chapters 25 through 31. God giving instructions to Moses for the tabernacle. So while Moses disappears up there. And he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. God gives to Moses chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 and 31. Which are instructions concerning the tabernacle. That's the place of worship. That's the place that God's going to dwell among his people. That's why it's such a big deal. And so he's gone. He's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. What happens while he's gone? But they did, he disappeared. And what did the people say to Aaron? We uh, we, we don't know what happened to him. We, we don't even know what. If he's going to ever come back. And we need to go back. And what did Aaron say? Um, Give me your earrings. Give me your gold. And they they made a golden calf. And they began to dance around it and worship the golden calf saying, This is our God who brought us out of Egypt. We're going to see that next time. That's chapter 32. Meanwhile, while God and Moses are up on top of the mountain, God gives him instructions concerning the tabernacle. And I want you to see this. The tabernacle... Is a picture of our Savior Jesus Christ. It foreshadows His person and work. Let me give you, first of all, uh, sort of the, just kind of the. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Here is the plan of the tabernacle. Now let me just show you what it is. Hopefully, you can see this because I can't hit all of these at once, but I can hit this. If you, this is the tabernacle. There was a tent, a, a kind of a curtain all the way around, that kind of a wall, and and had uh, animal skins making a curtain all the way around. You come in the gate here. Now, I'm going to show you something in a minute. I'm going to say that this a picture of Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'll show you in a minute how that fits. When you come through this gate, there was an altar there called the bronze altar, or the, the altar of sacrifice. And that's where they would bring animals, and they would cut them up and put their hands on them, and they'd put the animals up on top of that thing right there. After that, the priest, now the priest would did this and then they would walk over here to this laver, this big old thing that had water in it, it's huge, had water at the bottom part, water in the top part, and they would wash their feet in their hands after sacrificing animals because they had to, stay, had to stay clean, you know, had to stay a picture of a fellowship. And then they, there's this place right here that only certain priests could go. Now the priests were all out here, people could come in, but into this holy place, only certain people could go. They cast lots for certain responsibilities. When you went in this place, if you looked over on this side, there was a lampstand that was golden. It was big, and it burned all the time. And one of the priests' jobs was to go in there and keep it lit all the time, make sure it never stopped burning. On the other side was a table, and it was a table about like this, about that high, about this big, and it had 12 loaves of bread on it. It was called the table of showbread. Each of the... La- the uh, the loaves of bread represented the nation of Israel. It was changed out once a week. So a priest would go in with 12 new loaves, set them in there, take the 12 loaves out. A priest would go in and make sure the lamp is burning all the time. In the back of the room, there was an altar called the altar of incense, which burned all the time. And a priest would go in there. His job was to keep it burning. Smoke went up all the time from the altar of incense. That was a picture of the prayers of the, of God going up for the people. And so we're, we're going to say, That this is the way and this is the truth And in the back room was the life And it was called the Holy of Holies And in that room there was a curtain In between the room right there And people, uh, no priest None of these priests could go Into that back room The only priest that could go in the back room Was the high priest and he could go once a year On the day of atonement And he'd go back there And there was this box back there And if you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark uh the Ark of the Covenant, I think that the picture of the, of the Ark in the Raiders of the Lost Ark is really good. And so there was a box, and it was uh, made out of wood covered over gold and a solid gold lid. On top of the lid were two angels, two cherubim, facing each other with their wings spread out toward each other. It was called the Mercy Seat, and that was the place of the atonement, the covering of sin. Now that's what the place will like. Now flip to the next picture. Just want to show you that sort of picture that, you know, there's the tent, there's the gate you go in through and there's the altar of, of where you uh, sacrifice the animals and that's the, the laver. And then here's the front room where you have the lamp on one side and the bread on the other. And then there's the back room of the Holy of Holies. So that just sort of gives you a little bit of three dimensional part. Now let me show you something and I think go to the next slide. We see that Jesus is, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and tying in with the the tabernacle, you can look at Jesus in that way. the first is the way, and the way to God you come through the place. Of sacrifice, and that's the the brazen altar. And you came in there and that's the place. Hebrews ten twelve says Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And when he made that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. So the brazen altar was the altar of the place of sacrifice and it dealt with sin. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and, and his death for us and his resurrection for us, his payment for sin, all of that. Uh, then if you remember, still in the way to God was this laver, which was a picture of cleansing. And so technically you've come to God by the way way of God, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the laver, which is a place of washing, which is a place of cleansing and fellowshipping, those kind of things. So there's the way, and then you go to the truth, okay? And the truth is the person of Christ, and the truth is in that front room. And remember the three things. What were they? The lamp, the bread, and the altar. The lamp, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light. He's the limb, He's the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. That's what he said. So if you walk in that room, you see the truth that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus is the bread of life. And if you look at the last part, the altar of incense was prayers. Hebrews 7.25 says he lives forever to make intercession for us. And so he's the way by the sacrifice of the bronze altar and the, and the laver. He's the truth, the light, the bread, and the one who prays. And then last but not least, he's the life. And there's the Ark of the Covenant, wood and gold, a picture of Jesus Christ. The wood represents his humanity. The gold represents his deity. He's the God-man. The golden lid is called the mercy seat where sin is dealt with and God is satisfied. It's all a picture of who Jesus is and what he what He has done. And it's, of course, a foreshadow of what he will do. in In that back room, in the mercy seat... When the priest would go in there once a year on the day of covering atonement, he would pour out blood and God would be satisfied. There will come a day, or from this time, there would come a day in which the Son of God, Jesus Christ, would go to the cross, down a cross, which is a picture of the bronze altar, a bronze uh, place of sacrifice. And then the Bible actually tells us that Jesus went to the tabernacle in heaven. There is a heavenly tabernacle. The one on the earth was fashioned just like the one in heaven. And Jesus took his blood into the holy place as the satisfactory payment for sin. The book of Hebrews tells us that in chapter 9, chapter 10, even chapter 8 goes through through all of those kind of things. That's why 1 John 2, 2 says he is the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So you understand. That as someone would come to the brazen altar, it's a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. As you come to the, the the laver, it's a picture of being in fellowship. As you come to the light, he's the light of the world. As you come to the bread, he's the bread of life. If you come to the altar of incense, he's the one who makes intercession for us. And when you come to that back room, that's the place where Jesus Christ poured out his blood as the final sacrifice for sin forever, as the payment for sin. Jesus Christ is the great high. Priest who offers himself as a sacrifice four times in the book of Hebrews, it says that after he offered the sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the father. If you'll go back to just, uh, go back to a couple of slides to the, to the pictures, right? Go to the next one. Uh, where are the uh, chairs to sit down? No priest ever sat down. Why? Always had something to do. There was no, there was continual sacrifices covering for sin. And when Jesus Christ offered the final sacrifice for sin forever, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Over and over, the law, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the commandments, they're all pictures of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect man who kept the Ten Commandments. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world, the bread of the life, the intercessor. He is the sacrifice that satisfies God. He is all of those. So what have we seen? We've seen the law was given to Israel and to Moses. It set apart the nation for worship and fellowship. The law was really a foreshadow, a picture of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect man who kept the Ten Commandments. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We realize that he is the foreshadow. So let me give you a couple of applications real quickly. First of all, the law was not, the law was given to Israel, not to the church. Somebody tells you you're under the Mosaic law, they don't understand the scripture. Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. That's what the scripture says. You read the book of Galatians, it makes it very plainly that the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ, and after we come to Christ, we no need, no longer need that tutor. We, as believers, we're never under the Mosaic law. Number two, the law is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And as you look back through the whole thing, the commandments, he's the only one who kept the commandments. He did not come to destroy the law but to what? Fulfill it. And he did. He's the only one that ever kept it. There's a picture of Jesus in the tabernacle. There's a picture of Jesus in the priesthood. There's a picture of Jesus in all of those things. It's kind of fun. Sometimes you don't want to go into detail. If you go into too detail, it it drives everybody crazy. But if you don't go into too much detail and you hit on the high parts, you can see the priesthood is a picture of Christ. The tabernacle is a picture of Christ. The sacrifices are a picture of Christ. The feast days are pictures of Christ. All of those things are pictures of Christ. It's just fantastic. Now, you just, if you go into too much detail, everybody dies. So you have to have a balance there and say, let's just touch on the high parts of these or else we'll kill each other. But anyway, it's, it's really good. The law is a foreshadow of Christ. Third, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law as the Messiah. And the Savior. The law pointed to Christ. He is the one who was able to save us. Why? He knew no sin. He kept the law perfectly. When we trust Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the intercession. He is the God-man. He is the great high priest. He offered Himself as a sacrifice. So our goal and our prayer would be to understand that people need to put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior and this Mosaic Law and we, we're going to stop and basically uh, without going into detail, we just looked at chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31. Now you can go slower than that. And when I do a study of the tabernacle, it, we take, we take four to five to six lessons to hit these high parts and hit the, you know, these different things. I did not want to do that tonight. I just thought we wanted to see the high parts as well. May we understand the purpose of the law. And, and next time when we get to chapter 32, it It's, uh wow, it is amazing. We're going to see Moses' intercession for the people. And I want you to understand something. When Moses intercedes for the people, he's a picture of Jesus Christ interceding for us. And that's why next Sunday night we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Because we remember the death and resurrection of our Savior, how Jesus Christ gave his body and his blood for us. And so we'll put that all together. Uh, next Sunday night, may we understand the purpose of the law, trusting and proclaiming to others Jesus Christ as the great high priest, the perfect man who is the savior of the world. Let's pray. We'll have any questions or comments. Heavenly Father, what a great passage. Thank you, Lord, for all the things that are in these passages. And we realize the law was given to Israel and not to us. That so the law is just a real perfect foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Christ is the fulfillment of the law as the Messiah and the Savior. I hope and pray that everyone in this room is trusted in Christ. And that as we go out these doors, we will proclaim to others the truth about Christ, knowing that he indeed is the Savior, the perfect man, the one that gives eternal life, the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.